Welcome to Let's Talk Loyalty, an industry podcast for loyalty marketing professionals. I'm your host, Paula Thomas, and if you work in loyalty marketing, join me every week to learn the latest ideas from loyalty specialists around the world. So welcome to episode 21 of Let's Talk Loyalty. And today I'm delighted to be talking to a leading lady of loyalty uh, by the name of Sarah Richardson. Sarah is extremely well known internationally and particularly in the country she is now resident in, which is Australia. And I guess the reason she's so high profile is in addition to many years of working in the industry um, from her days as a direct marketing practitioner through to working um, as a CRM director and all the way up to founding and becoming chairperson of the Australian Loyalty Association. So Sarah has over 20 years experience in the industry and is planning some fantastic events, including education and conferences, both in her um, adopted country and also internationally, which I'll be super excited to talk to her about today. So without further ado, let me welcome Sarah Richardson to Let's Talk Loyalty. Thank you very much, Paula, for welcoming me and happy to be on your show. Fantastic. So, as you know, Sarah, the, uh, the first thing I always like to do at the start of the show is to share an insight in terms of um, either a favorite loyalty statistic or just maybe even a fact that really intrigues you about the industry and gives us a sense, I suppose, of exactly why do you love working in loyalty. So, tell me, what is your favorite loyalty statistic? So my favorite loyalty statistics relates to the staggering value of Velocity and Velocity is the loyalty program affiliated to Virgin Australia. And what I came across a few weeks ago is that 60% of companies cannot prove that their loyalty program makes the company any money. And so the reason why I find Velocity so fascinating is in 2014, the Affinity Group bought 35% of the program and they paid $335 million, which I'm sure we'd all be very happy if our program <laughs> weren't. Yeah. And, and last year, Virgin then bought um, the stake for twice the amount. And the value of Velocity is at $2 billion Australian dollars. And so wow. the reason I think it's so important is that loyalty practitioners do often struggle to monetize their programs. And it's something that we should be focusing more on. So your program should demonstrate a clear financial benefit to the company that it represents. And when we're consulting with companies, it's something that we really try and focus on because it's a benefit to everybody, obviously the company, the practitioner, because they're allowed to get on with their job without constantly being in the spotlight about the money that they're spending. Mm. And if they're making money, then that money generally gets filtered back to the customer. And mm. so the customer's happy too. So it's win-win for everybody. And I love that focus, Sarah, because, you know, I'm on, as you know, 21 episodes now of, of interviewing people all over the world. Um, and what I'm really finding I am most impressed by and most interested in is when there is a commercial mindset around the program that's being operated. Because I think with the best will in the world, we all know um, consultants who are very well-intentioned and have very good uh, frameworks, but don't necessarily have that very hard-nosed evidence, which 
which means, as you said, they can get on and do the job they've been asked to do. And I know for me, I hate being asked, you know, to justify the spend. So, uh, so you've obviously focused on that extensively over your career. So I'd love to hear, tell the listeners now, Sarah, exactly how did you get into loyalty and, and what are you focused on right now? So originally I'm from the UK, like so many marketers in Australia, for some reason, mm. marketers of the sun. And so we all come to Australia. Unfortunately, some of us end up in Melbourne where there's very little sun. Um, <laughs> so I worked um, for over 20 years in mainly large corporates, including Telstra, which is the dominant telecommunications company in Australia, Suncorp, which is a major home and car insurer, Australian mm. Post. And my final client side job was the GM of loyalty at Maya, which is one of the two large fashion retailers in Australia. Mm-hmm. I also worked um, as a CRM director at an advertising agency called Sapient Nitro, which was great fun, before opening my own consultancy in Melbourne. And as you alluded to before, this is now merged into a consultancy partnership called Sienza, and we specialize in loyalty strategy development and program mm-hmm. implementation. Fantastic. Um, Sienza is an interesting name, Sarah. Is that a word or is there a story behind the name that uh, it's, it sounds quite interesting? Well, we looked at different names and came up with, with both quite scientific in the way that we approach loyalty. Mm-hmm. And we looked at the Latin word for science. Uh, and then we didn't like it as much as we thought we would. So we just put an A at the end of it because we're... <laughs> Girls and it was uh, was a great name. Brilliant, yeah. No, it's it's certainly it, you know it, it lands very well. I have to say. So um, you know the the, the marketing uh, speak. I always find naming conventions super difficult. So um, yeah, it's it's one that I, I think will do very well for you. Thank you, Paula. Brilliant. Um, so we've talked a lot, Sarah, and we're going to go through today, I think, some of your favorite loyalty programs in the Australian market. Um, but also what I loved, even in terms of your background, you mentioned that um, the loyalty market in Australia is extremely sophisticated. And it's not something that I was actually particularly aware of. I've done quite a few podcasts with people that I admire and work with maybe in, in South Africa, in the UK, and the US. So, um, you know, there are certain markets that I would expect to be more advanced, but it almost sounds like from what you discovered, you landed in Australia, um, I think it was around the 90s, um, or that's when the industry started, whereas maybe in, say, the US, for example, it started, you know, way before that in the 50s and 60s. But I think the benefit of that is it sounds like it took all of the latest learnings from around the world and uh, and brought it into Australia. So, so tell us how, how does loyalty work in Australia and, and some of that sophistication and your favorite programs? Well, there are four major programs in Australia. There's Velocity that I've mentioned before, which is the program for Virgin Australia. Yeah. Qantas Flyer, which is the program for Qantas, which is the, they're the two main airlines that we have here. Mm-hmm. Flybys and Woolworth Rewards. So they're the programs that are affiliated with the two major supermarket brands. And they are so strong and so dominant and all extremely profitable based in part on their affiliate programs, which means that a whole lot of other companies in Australia can use those programs to enhance their brands and retain customers, etc. So I think it, what it's meant is, is that so many smaller companies here can have very strong and sophisticated loyalty programs based on their affiliation with those four. Um, having said that, there's also other 
um, really strong programs that have, have either broken away from those major programs or have been started because it's a very tight um, dare I say, loyal community of loyalty practitioners. <laughs> Good. There, is a, there is a fair amount of, of moving around and um, taking those skills and, and bringing them to other programs. And for instance, I worked a few years ago on a program for a recruitment um, company. And, and in fact, even drier than recruitment, it was IT specialist. <laughs> oh, God. And, uh, yeah, and um, but we put together a fantastic loyalty program that was extremely profitable and um, and used many of the, of the the very sophisticated techniques in, in order to to do that. So if you can do that with uh, with loyalty, um, if you can mm. implement loyalty for technology consultants, then I guess you can do it for anybody. Absolutely. And I like the terminology that you use, Sarah, the affiliate type structure. And I don't think that I've come across any other country that kind of works in, in such a way. So as, as we both know, um, coalition programs or, or, you know, company owned programs tend to dominate in, in, in mature markets. But it sounds like those four, literally, as you said, it's, it's a very commercial arrangement and, um, and very overt. So anyone who wants a loyalty program can simply buy the points and leverage the the power of that loyalty brand. Yeah, well, they are currencies here. People consider them as currencies. There's always a lot of debate about, you know, if you die, do people inherit your your points? And, and uh, <laughs> yeah. it's, treated, it's definitely treated like like cash. Wow, my goodness. Well, it seems to have really um, embedded itself in the Australian psyche from what you're saying. Yeah, it really has. I, I was very fortunate to to come here and to be part of it. Wow. Yeah. I think then it sounds like it's a nation of, uh, of junkies, <laughs> which I think is, uh, you know, probably not the best word, but it certainly describes the behavior um, <laughs> that you're, t- yeah, you're talking yeah. about. Well, you know, I'll leave that one alone. So tell me, Sarah, you've mentioned then those four very dominant programs. Um, clearly, um, they're, they're very powerful. It sounds like they all have a very similar strategy. But I'm guessing you have some favorites of your own, um, either within those four or, or maybe outside of those. So tell us exactly, what are your favorite loyalty programs uh, in Australia? Well, one of the ones I'd like to talk about today is the My One program. And I did work on this program, so I'm very familiar with the workings. It mm-hmm. is the program for Maya, which is a, a very large retailer here, here in Australia. And towards the end of my time there, I was lucky enough to travel internationally to go and visit other retailers around the world. And I was very surprised, and I think they were quite surprised as well, at how sophisticated the program was. One of the reasons is because in the days when it was set up, which was in the 90s, there was quite a lot of money around in retail and in Australia. And so they were able to set up the program really well with a very robust structure. So the Mm -hmm. way that it works is basically the customer shops at one of the Maya stores or online, they accumulate two shopping credits per dollar spend. They then mm-hmm. receive the $20 Maya One rewards card automatically in the post or electronically now for every mm-hmm. 2,000 shopping credits that they have accumulated. So, for instance, if they've accumulated 3,000 shopping credits, they just get their $20 voucher. Mm-hmm. And this is a very expensive way of doing it and possibly not very environmentally friendly. And I know that they're looking at that now, but people mm. see it as a real gift in a way that something electronic can never be. And mm. 
people are gifting it to other people and they're bringing it in and it's a real treat, something that they feel that they can spend on themselves without the guilt associated. One of the really interesting things about it is, is that when the member comes back in store to spend their gift card, they spend on average 3.8 times the value of the reward card. So if you wow. look at the discounting that goes on these days it's really no no worse than that in terms of of that spend Maya then accumulates all that valuable data relating to the customer's shopping habits they then engage with the Maya One member with relevant and targeted offers and um, the cycle begins again so it's an extremely complex program in the back end but from a customer's Mm -hmm. perspective it's very simple Mm -hmm. and it pushes so many um, of their buttons. So Amazing. Yeah. yeah. And I love that because actually I do think, um, you know, sharing rewards is a lovely idea. Um, and, and there's probably not enough programs, I think, that focus on here's a reward that you can gift to somebody. Um, I know some of the guys I work with do it in, in convenience retail, for example. So you can gift somebody, you know, a free, you know, coffee or whatever. But it's lovely to hear because it's coming out by post, I guess, that you can gift that to, uh, to somebody else to spend in the store. Yeah, well, when I was there, I implemented a loyalty app at mm-hmm. uh, great time and expense in those days, and the research all came back, you know, that the customers were so keen on this and wanted it, and when mm-hmm. it came down to it, they didn't want it at all for a couple of reasons. One of them is that they weren't able to gift that nobody wants to to give or receive an, an electronic $20 voucher. And the yeah. other thing that was really interesting was when we did choice modeling on the customers, we found out that the main benefit that the customers were interested in was going up to the counter and showing their gold card and the prestige yeah. that they got from that. And on an app, no one can see that you've got a gold card, which is not something that anybody would admit. But if you, if you ask a question enough ways, that was what yeah. came out. So it's yeah. so interesting, you know, the obvious sometimes is not so obvious. And I still think that um, that continues to this day. And I worked um, in the past, for example, in British Airways, and I know our customer research was exactly the same. And like, uh, you know, I'm lucky enough to have a silver card with Emirates and I get great pride out of making sure it's sticking out, you know, whenever I get to the airport to, to, to feel that little bit of exclusivity. So I think you're dead right. And, you know, we all love digital and, and the benefits it offer, offers operationally. But I, I think you're right. It's important not to lose the sense of exclusivity, particularly, I think, in in fashion retail, where it's so hard to get an emotional connection with your customers. Well, I did a lot of research on psychology when I was writing the course that I think we'll speak about a little bit later. And I was Mm -hmm. absolutely amazed at what came back in terms of human behaviors and Mm -hmm. how we all are, no matter where we're from in the world. And also, I was staggered by the interest from the pupils on this module, it was by far the most uh, the most engaging of all the modules, even being at the end of the day. So it yeah. is a fascinating area and any uh, direct marketer or loyalty practitioner should absolutely know their psychology if they're going to be successful in this area. For sure. And it's a favorite subject of mine. So I'll definitely ask you about that now in one second. Even before, just before we leave the the Maya story, Sarah, I love that you went, as you said, Deb, to visit other retailers around the world. And I presume Maya is not in international markets. I could be wrong, but I don't recognize the brand. 
Did you find that loyalty managers were um, open to sharing, um, let's say, quite you know commercially sensitive data when you when you went to, to visit them? How did that go? Yeah, I was quite surprised actually. We we were looking at doing some programs with them. For instance, if anybody wanted to shop at Saks Fifth Avenue and they went through the Maya website, then we'd be clipping the ticket and the opposite. So so we did mm. go in on the premise of uh, collaboration. But yeah, they were extremely happy to see us and share what they were mm. doing with quite a lot mm-hmm. of similarities. And, and there were some absolute pearls that I was able to bring back to Australia and uh, implement within the program. Wow. Well, I love that idea, actually. It, it's always been a passion of mine to take learnings either from one sector or from one country and leverage that in somewhere else, because it's probably the only way that you really get the, the, the nitty gritty, grainy detail of exactly what's going on, because otherwise it's too commercially sensitive to ask the question. Yes, exactly. <laughs> So, um, so let's talk about the uh, the course that you developed, Sarah. Um, as I said, I, I've I've a personal passion for psychology, something I'd love to to study at at another time. But tell us about the the programs that you run on the education side, and actually, even before that, we should probably ask, you know, why did you set up the Australian Loyalty Association, and uh, and and some of the work that you do there. Well, I'd like to say that I had a big strategic purpose, but really I've just been working like crazy, like all of us for years in these different roles around the country. And when I left Maya and client-side work, I decided to get all my friends together and have a dinner. And we got 25 people along and a few vendors. And after the first dinner, somebody said, well, you know, you really should take this maybe to the next stage. And a couple of the vendors said, look, we'll sponsor you. And so it really went from there. And I think the reason why it has been so successful and it's such a close-knit and you know, great networking experience is because it has come out of such grassroots, um, such a grassroots um, beginning. And there was never any commercial desires um, upon it. And, and so hopefully that really shows one of the measures that we have of success for all our events is, you know, you look around the room and see how many people are on their phone or standing by themselves. Of course, now we've got these fantastic apps that you play games with and so everybody's <laughs> on their phone. So now it's very hard to tell what they're doing. Yeah. But, but yeah, so we started it seven years ago is when we first had the dinners and it just got bigger and bigger. Five years ago, we had our first conference and that's gone from 120 people to 300 last year and we were doing it Sydney Melbourne for anybody who hasn't been to Australia they're they're, they're quite a distance from each other and they're Mm. quite separate um, the people who live in each area and so the Sydney guys complained and asked if we could have a conference there as well and so what we've started to do now is we have a dinner and panel in Sydney which this year will be capped at 220 which is on the 19th of March and then the Sydney uh, sorry the Melbourne conference which is on the 22nd of July. Wow okay um, and and the Melbourne format then that's that's more of a traditional conference format is it Sarah? Yeah, we keep it to a day. We start very early, take delegates through a journey through loyalty, mainly Mm -hmm. client side um, speakers, but we also have vendors who have specific uh, areas of expertise. We we ensure that that sponsorship and speakers are not tied together. So we really do assess everybody Mm. on their 
merits. And um, yeah, if anybody listening would like an excuse to come to Australia, <laughs> you know, I you know I'm dying to get there. <laughs> yes, Paula, I was talking to you. Yes, 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 yes. Super exciting. Um, yeah, no, and I know obviously we know so many people in common around the world that uh, it, it does feel like it would be literally a gathering of friends if if I got there. So um, so hold that space and hold that thought, Sarah. If it's not this year, I I promise to uh, to join you next year in in one of your events. And, and speaking of 2021, I know you have a fabulous and radically innovative, I think is the way to describe your 2021 plans for the world of loyalty. So, so tell all of the listeners, what are you doing in 2021? So our latest endeavor is to run an international customer engagement and loyalty ski trip in Japan. <laughs> and this is going to be held um, between the 18th and the 22nd of January 2021. Paula, I'm not sure. Have you been to Japan? Many, many years ago, Sarah, and it certainly wasn't in a professional environment. Um, <clears throat> I think I partied most of my, my time there with some university friends. Uh, but it's actually a country that I know uh, my partner and I have been talking about going back to. Um, and it's more high profile, I suppose, with the Olympics this year. But I hadn't really associated it with skiing. And I hadn't certainly planned on um, on or wasn't expecting any loyalty conference to happen there that would be relevant for me. So, so how did you even end up choosing Japan as a location? Well, after the event in July last year, it's usually quite a boozy event by the end of the night. And I was speaking <laughs> to one of our sponsors, mm-hmm. who's called Regan and owns a prominent digital agency in Australia called Digital Alchemy. And he mentioned to me that he owns some hotels in the mountain, in mountains in Japan, which I thought was extremely random. And we decided that we were going to put together a ski trip. And the next morning, I had completely forgotten about it. And Regan <laughs> So are we doing this? I was, I was wow. thinking, goodness me. And so I actually went to visit Regan in Japan a couple of weeks ago, thinking really this is a great opportunity to go to Japan and I love skiing. And I was just blown away by what a fantastic com- country it is and that from the airport to the snow, it takes two hours in these crazy bullet trains. And um, yeah. wow. so before I knew it, we we had organized this trip. And so the delegates can stay in these hotels. It's extremely good value. And Mm -hmm. we're just finalizing the details now, putting together the program. It Mm. will be a networking event. Mm -hmm. There will be some education, but Mm -hmm. we do hope to also do some skiing. And if it snows overnight and there's a bright blue sunny day, then we will not be talking about loyalty. We'll be skiing. (laughs) Very flexible. But having said that, it's just a wonderful way for us all to share something. I've never met anybody in loyalty who's not incredibly passionate about it and doesn't want to talk to other loyalty practitioners. So I'm extremely excited. And we Mm. will launch formally at the event in March. So all the details will be on the website. Wow. Well, so it sounds like we're getting an exclusive news bulletin. It's not often I have breaking news on on the show. So (laughs) I'm delighted to hear it. That, that is my plan, Sarah. I mean, as you talk about it, it is everything that I, I love. I mean, like you said, I love talking about loyalty. I love picking people's brains about loyalty. And as I said, um, Japan's been on the list. But tell me, I'm not a skier. So is it still appropriate and, and, and a good uh, resort to attend for, for, for me and listeners who don't ski? 
Well, the, the evening that I got there, everybody was telling me you'll not be able to ski tomorrow because the snow is terrible. And I woke up the next day to the best snow skiing I've ever done. So if you speak to anybody in Japan, basically, and this is powder, they're not really interested, which for anybody who's ever skied in Australia would think that was quite laughable. But I did notice that there were some really uh, good beginner slopes and okay. Part of the deal will be free ski lessons. Mm-hmm. And, um, but having said that, there were some extremely challenging um, black runs that uh, I was far too petrified to go down. So I don't okay. think it be a problem. And there's so much to do in Japan and everything is so close that even if you don't ski, there'll be plenty yeah. for people to do and we'll bus people around to um, the different onsens, etc. every day. Wow. Well, I mean, I think you're you're doing it extremely well, um, as as clearly you do everything else, Sarah, in that, you know, we've got 12 months notice now to organise ourselves. And I think you mentioned to me you're hoping about 50 loyalty, and I'm guessing quite senior people you're expecting. Is it about 50 that you're expecting to attend the uh, the first event? Well, we are inviting families. So in total, 50 would be a good manageable number. So I imagine mm-hmm. it will be around 30, but we already have okay. 40 expressions of interest. Um, mm-hmm. But obviously saying you want to go and actually going are two different things. So we'll see how many registrations we get. But I've got a definitely a very good feeling about it. When you organize things like this for many years, you can get a very good sense of whether something's going to be successful or not. Yeah, brilliant. And then the piece we haven't talked about yet, Sarah, is the um, the loyalty education program that you're running. So um, I know you have dates coming up and that's separate, I suppose, to the actual events that you do. So, so what kind of um, loyalty training do you do? So we launched our education program in October last year and we'll be running the next one in Sydney on May the 20th and 21st. So we're doing Mm -hmm. that in conjunction with Macquarie University this time. So the course goes for two days and covers Mm -hmm. eight modules. So it covers strategy, customer journeys, financial modeling, technology, psychology, etc. And we make sure that it's very hands-on, that we have exercises after each of the modules and that Mm. the the attendees get to work very closely with each other. We had 24 people attend the last one, which we were absolutely stoked about. And Mm. it was such a big number that we'll be capping it at that. We also are looking to do private education in various organizations because some organizations just don't want their people going out there and sharing too much about their programs. And so it looks like we'll be doing that the first one of those in Singapore. Wow. Okay. So yeah, also extremely exciting because I think what we've said, and, and again, we, we've, we've both done a lot of work in this area. Um, you know, there isn't just enough loyalty training in the world and most of us either fell into it or, or you know, it's, it's almost practitioner led. So, you know, you might have to bring in expensive consultants, but where else do you get the expertise unless there's, there's people like you running programs? Yeah, well, that's why we did it in conjunction with universities and we were lucky enough to have some people that we were close to who helped us to accredit these programs for us. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's one of the hardest things I've ever done. I I thought it would be hard to write the course. Mm. Um, It was uh, was significantly harder than I thought it was and we were extremely relieved when we got good ratings and uh, we've now got registration starting again because like anything, Paula, if you try and do something new, you're always terrified that it might fail. 
Of course, of course. But what I'm loving, Sarah, is that you're you're getting out and trying things. So whether it's dinner or skiing in Japan, like it's just uh, I like your appetite for innovation and just giving it a go. <laughs> Thanks, Paula. Brilliant. So listen, um, we'll probably start to wrap up now. Um, I know uh, we, we've covered most of the subjects that we wanted to talk about, but you did mention to me, I suppose, your favourite um, aspect of, of loyalty programmes is, you know, really monetizing them and proving the value. So, you know, just before we close, do you want to um, to cover that topic? I know you mentioned, for example, there's an increase in paid subscription programmes in the Australian market and clearly globally. So just thought that that might be a final and um, nice area to talk about before we wrap up. Well, pay programs are great because it brings revenue into an organization up front. I'm extremely fascinated about it because it reverses the usual construct of a loyalty program in the traditional sense, as it doesn't reward members for loyalty gained over time. Instead, it lets them pay up front to instantly become say, a gold member with all of those sorts of benefits. So when I first started to think about it, I thought, oh, it doesn't really fit Mm. into loyalty. But, of course, it absolutely does because if you're loyal enough to pay a company to be part of their program and part of the psychology that we've been learning about is that if you pay for something, then you're much more likely to to mm. use it. And as we were talking about before, I'm fascinated with the Costco model, which if somebody had come to me as a consultant and said, we're going to charge people 50, in, in Australia, it's 50 Australian dollars to, mm. to shop at our store, I would have told them they were insane, but it works amazingly well in Australia. And I do it myself. I shop at Costco far more often than I should based on the fact that I pay the $15 up front. So I think it's something we're going to see a lot more of. Mm-hmm. And the the only thing I would be wary of from a loyalty practitioner's perspective is to ensure that that money from the paid loyalty program actually does go back to the loyalty department and funds customer benefits because in that way, again, mm. as I was saying at the beginning of our interview, everybody's mm. happy, the loyalty practitioner and their department, the company mm-hmm. and the customer and Amazing. sustainable model. Wow. And just uh, the actual benefits that Costco do. And I know you mentioned that, again, it's not always seen as a loyalty program because it's it's the discount model. So are you saying that the $15 that you spend on your subscription, does it go into tangible rewards like here's a gift um, or does it go into here's richer discounts or a combination of both? Well, um, the $50 really just allows you to go into their store. So wow. you, can't, you can't go in there if you haven't paid it. You can't Um, at all. Oh, my God. (laughs) I missed that (laughs) clearly massive uh, key point about the whole thing. My God, that's extraordinary. Obviously, they don't have Costco's in, uh, it's an American company. They don't have them in Dubai. They definitely don't. We don't have them in Ireland that I'm aware of. I'm out of there three years now. Um, I I don't think they're in the UK, but I will definitely, uh, you know, maybe maybe try and get a case study or get them onto the, uh, the podcast. That sounds like a great one. Well, they wouldn't consider themselves a loyalty program and a lot of (laughs) people don't. But as far as I'm concerned, the customers are unbelievably loyal. So what would you call it? They don't have segmented comms. They don't have any points. Points. Um, So affiliates that you you basically go in there and the products are apparently discounted. And Mm. yeah, I've never walked out of the place without having spent at least $600. My God. (laughs) 
you're, you're clearly their dream customer, Sarah. That's incredible. <laughs> I do, however, also own the bar parlor, but please don't ask me about that. Okay. Well, I think we'll take that one offline because I've just moved house and I need a bar. So uh, I'm definitely going to pick your brains. Um, so that's it from my side, Sarah. Before we uh, before we wrap up, was there anything else that you wanted to mention? I mean, I'm obviously going to include links to your own LinkedIn profile in the show notes and the Australian Loyalty Association.com, which I believe is your, your website. And actually, I, I don't believe because I know, and in fact, you put my podcast on there. So, so thank you very much for, uh, for, for sharing the love. Um, so is there anything else you wanted to say before we, uh, before we end the interview? No, Paula. And thank you so much for having me on. And we all really appreciate what you're doing. It's not easy to put together what you're doing and uh, to be brave enough to start podcasts. And I've listened to everything that you've done so far and I've learned so much and it's been really fascinating. So congratulations. Oh my goodness. Well, thank you, Sarah. Uh, really, really appreciate the lovely comments. And again, I'm a big fan of yours, as you can tell. So, uh, so I look forward to working with you. And thanks a million for talking to Let's Talk Loyalty. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Let's Talk Loyalty. If you'd like me to send you the latest show each week, simply sign up for the show newsletter on letstalkloyalty.com and I'll send you the latest episode to your inbox every Thursday. Or just head to your favorite podcast platform, find Let's Talk Loyalty and subscribe. Of course, I'd love your feedback and reviews. And thanks again for supporting the show.